and welcome to the North Decatur Presbyterian Church Sermon Series. We're a PCUSA congregation in Decatur, Georgia. If you'd like to find out more about us, go to ndpc.org or just come by and visit. Here's this week's sermon. Today is the second week that we will read a story from the wilderness. Today's story comes from the 17th chapter of Exodus beginning in the first verse. Listen for the word of God to you today. From the wilderness of sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim. There was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, go on ahead of the people. And take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it so that the people may drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Massa and Meribah, which means testing and quarreling, because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Together we say thanks be to God. I want to talk to you for a few minutes today about faith and about remembering. How does what you remember shape your faith? How does what we remember together shape our faith? One thing that I hope you already know is that your faith depends on remembering. You and I have never met Jesus. We wouldn't know much at all about Jesus without the remembering of the people who did meet him and know him. Those who heard the first person remembrances wrote them down and and left them for us and they became our gospels. The reason we know Jesus at all is because people remembered him. Whenever we celebrate communion, it is a meal built around our act of remembering. We remember that there was a night, the night before Jesus died, when 
Jesus gathered his friends around him at a table and they broke bread and they poured out a cup. When we remember that meal, Christ is present with us at our table. Even our experiences of God today, when you or I feel some movement of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we lean on a memory of how God appeared and what God did for our ancestors to help us understand what God is doing in our lives today. This is all by way of saying that faith depends on remembering. I know people with incredible memories. You probably do too. I know people quite close to me who remember things that were said in conversations years ago, word for word. It's like a superpower. For others of you, your memory is less of a superpower and more like a punchline. But no one's memory is perfect. Every one of us forgets where we put the keys or where the duct tape is or where the receipts are that we need for the taxes. Scientists and researchers are still figuring out how our memory actually works. We know a few things for sure. One thing we know is that memory is connected to emotion. You and I remember things when there are strong feelings attached to the particular memory. It's why you remember your children's birth or the space shuttle tragedy and not where you put your keys. Another thing that we know about memory is that it is spotty. Your mind doesn't record things like a video that can then be played back later. Instead, you keep moments, you keep scenes and pictures in your mind. But between those scenes are gaps. And sometimes we fill those gaps, intentionally or not, with things that didn't actually happen. We misremember. Our memory is not fixed, it is malleable. It's also true about memory that it operates both on an individual level and on a collective level. You remember things about your life, but we also remember things about our life together. We capture collective moments in the life of our families or in the life of a church or in the life of our nation. And this act of remembering becomes our story the story of who we were, and the story of who we are. We carry these stories with us in the present day. We carry these memories with us because they ground us. They connect us to a a larger stream of human existence. Our memories give our life meaning. I learned a lot about remembering when I was younger. My mom was a high school history teacher, and, and when I was growing up, we spent countless hours on tours of historical sites, I learned that often history, often our remembering is terrible, right? It's just bad. I want to show you a picture. This is the famous Plymouth Rock, right? The the place on Cape Cod where the noble pilgrims landed their Mayflower in search of religious freedom or So the story goes, so our remembering goes. The truth is more like these folks were rabid Christian fundamentalists. And this rock is not even the place where they landed. They landed way out of the tip of Cape Cod. Our remembering is notoriously unreliable. Here's another place I'll show to you. 
Anyone ever been here? This is Monticello. This is the estate of American founding father Thomas Jefferson. I went to Monticello 40 years ago, and I remember walking through those rooms and learning about Jefferson, about his brilliant mind and his love of art and history and science. And I remember being being moved by his noble declaration. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. We are endowed by our creator with inalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Beautiful sentiments set in this beautiful space. Do you know what this is? This is Mulberry Row at Monticello where some of the 130 human beings that Thomas Jefferson kept in slavery lived and worked. Most of the people who have visited Monticello over the years have never visited Mulberry Row. That's the way Jefferson wanted it. Jefferson installed dumbwaiters in the dining room so that the slaves who made his food would be invisible to his enlightened guests. What and how we remember can change, sometimes for the better. A few years ago, I am told they redesigned the official tour at Monticello. Now the stories of enslaved persons are told along with Jefferson's as one single narrative. One feature of the new tour is a small room attached to the south wing of the main house. This room had been covered up in 1941 when they built a big old bathroom for the tourists to use, but this bathroom was just taken out, and now you can visit this room located only a few feet from Jefferson's own bedroom, a room that was inhabited by Sally Hemings. What, what do we choose to remember? Surely it matters for life and for faith. It matters for us in DeKalb County in Decatur, Georgia, where this summer our county removed a monument built in 1906, built right after the massacre of black citizens by white citizens known as the Atlanta Race Riots. The monument was dedicated at that time to the lost cause of the Confederacy, dedicated to the supremacy of white people. It stood for 100 or more years in our public square. There remains to this day a canon On that same square, a relic of the so-called Indian Wars, a relic of the violent expulsion of indigenous people from this very land. What we remember can change, sometimes for the better. A few hundred feet away from the same square is a memorial to the four known people killed by white terrorists, by lynching 
in DeKalb County. What do we choose to remember? What do we memorialize? What stories do we tell? Surely it should not only be our successes. Surely it should not only be our glory. Shouldn't we also remember the hard things? When Beth and I arrived here at North Decatur Presbyterian Church a decade ago, we we wanted to learn the story of this congregation and And you all told us a great story about Bill Newton and about signing the minister's manifesto supporting desegregation of schools in the late 1950s. You told us a story about founding nonprofit organizations all across our area, the Scottsdale Child Center, Our House, Initiative for Affordable Housing. You told us this was a place where feminist Christians could could think and talk and grow in faith together. It was a place of safety for gay Christians. What was harder to uncover were the things that we were not proud of. It was hard to hear the real story about how and why our congregation fractured in half in the early 1970s. It was hard to find stories that described in detail the anger and the factions and the mistrust that took place among us before and during and after the brief and tumultuous ministry of our predecessor. It's understandable, right? All of us, all of us cover up those kinds of things in our individual lives and in the lives of our families and communities. We, we hide our struggles and our failures Every time I sit with a family, every time we sit and plan out the funeral of a loved one who has recently gone on, I invite them into a time of remembering their loved one. And we talk about their childhood and we talk about their hobbies and what they were passionate about. And we always talk about the people they loved and who loved them into being. And these are the joyful recollections in this hard time. But toward the end of our conversation, I will always make a point to ask the family, and what do you think were the hard parts in their life? Where did she struggle? Tell me about his wilderness experience. What was the pain that she experienced that never quite left? Those questions always take our remembering into a deeper and richer place. And almost always, I can say that the families are relieved to be asked. They are relieved to share these stories. Yes, yes, there was pain. And that too, as much as anything else, shaped the person that they became. Even if we resist naming these things, they don't become any less a part of our memory, do they? There are such strong emotions attached to our struggles, we don't forget them. Our pain lingers. It stays just outside of our gaze, but it constantly shapes our behavior in the present, most often seasoning our lives with things like fear and anger and shame and regret, often because we are unwilling to face them and name them. What 
do we choose to remember? In the story that we read today from Exodus, the people of God have again hit their limit in the wilderness. It feels like they are dying of thirst. They are angry with each other. They lash out at Moses, their leader, because because he has led them into this God-forsaken place. Moses is afraid they are about to kill him. The people in their suffering cry out, God, where are you? And more than that, they put God to the test. They put God uh, uh, literally on trial for abandoning them. They are ready as a people to declare God guilty of indifference and neglect. And then God gives them water. God comes to us when we are thirsty. God God sends Moses to Horeb and, and Moses puts his staff in the rock and water flows into the desert. God will satisfy our needs. At another day and another time, I will preach about how God is always sending water into the dry and weary land, how God's presence sustains us in the desert. But today, I simply want to ask you to notice how it was that Moses and God's people remembered this miracle. Now, you might think, you might think that they would call this place Here is where God quenched our thirst. Here is is where God's living waters flow. You might think that they would build a a fountain with Moses striking the rock and water pouring out, that there could be a, a wading pool down below where kids would play throughout the summer and we would all remember how good God is. But that is not what they do to remember. They name the place. And they name it Masa and Meribah. Masa. Masa and Meribah. Testing and quarrel. I don't know what committee of the congregation approved those names, but they're good names. Thank God they remembered in this way. Remembering rightly, remembering faithfully is not just remembering the good stuff. There is deep wisdom in remembering the hard things in life. We learn as much or maybe more about life and faith when we struggle with it. We need to remember the times when we cry out in our pain and in our suffering, when we cry out and cannot hear an answer, when we cry out and wonder if we are all alone. Shouldn't we remember Shouldn't we remember the times in our weakness and despair that we caused pain to one another? Shouldn't we remember the doubt that we felt that is always a landmark on the journey to faith? Shouldn't we remember those times when we found a strength that only emerges in times of hardship? Shouldn't we remember that when God is silent, it doesn't mean that God is absent? And shouldn't we remember, shouldn't we remember the cross just as we remember the resurrection? The big story, the big story in the wilderness 
And the big story of God is a story about God's presence, about God's abiding presence in our life, about God's deep compassion for us, about God's provision and God's grace toward all of us. But the experience of the Israelites and our own experience of God is also an experience of wandering, of being sometimes afraid, of being often angry. Our experience in the wilderness is one of asking out loud or in the dark, is God here or not? Our own experience is that there are as many nights when we cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As days that we can affirm God's steadfast love endures forever. There are as many days when we feel like we're dying from a lack of living water as there are days when justice comes down like water and righteousness flows through our life like a stream. Shouldn't we remember it all? Remember the hunger and the manna. Remember the thirst and the water from the rock. Remember the dark night of the soul, and the mercy that is new each morning. I hope that each of you will take this perspective with you as as we continue to journey together in this our own time of wilderness. Find and gather up the manna each day. Notice the moments when water springs miraculously from a rock and drink deeply and feel refreshed in this time. But it is also good to name your suffering and your struggle. Name your grief and your sadness. Name your loneliness or your helplessness. Name it and remember it. I do believe that somewhere down the road, maybe months from now or maybe even years from now, you, you might have a memory of your Masa and your Meribah, your suffering, your struggling, your quarreling with God. And you will be able to help someone else who is going through their own wilderness to help them trust that they will find a way through. When someone else is struggling and crying out, is God here or not? You could say, may I tell you my story? I have been where you are. It's a place called Masa and Meribah. And I want you to know that God is here, even here, especially here. Let the people together say, Amen.